Hello and welcome to the HPP podcast. This is your host, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal. Whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with other editorial board members. We hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. Today, I'm joined by Carly Joseph and Michelle Seguin, authors of Something Fun to Look Forward to, Lessons from Implementing the Prescription of Health Farmers Market Initiative in Rural Upper Michigan, and they're going to help us explore this paper. But before we get started, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and have them share where they're calling in from. And so, Michelle, will you get us started? Hey, thanks, Arden. I'm Dr. Michelle Seguin, and I'm a board-certified family medicine physician and a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Family Medicine at Michigan State College of Human Medicine and the Medical College of Georgia. And I'm also the current director of community health at the Portage Health Foundation in Hancock, Michigan. And after five years in rural family medicine, I became interested in the intersection between food systems and health systems, which is what led me on the path to Protus prescription programs and the program we'll discuss today. And I'm calling in from beautiful Hancock, Michigan in the Upper Peninsula. Awesome, it is a pleasure to have you. And Carly, if you could introduce yourself. Hi, yeah, my name is Carly Joseph. I'm a fourth year medical student at Central Michigan University, and I recently earned my master's in public health at the University of Michigan. I'm planning to go into primary care, particularly I'm interested in rural health and in geriatrics. I started working with Michelle on the produce prescription program back in undergrad up at Michigan Tech, and she's just been such an incredible mentor to me over the past few years, and I'm so excited to be talking with you guys today. And I'm calling in from Big Rapids, Michigan. Awesome. It is so exciting to have you both here. And I want to dive right into this paper. And it's about the prescription of farmers markets, which is something that I don't think a lot of us are familiar with. And so can you help set the stage and tell us how this program even came to be? Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Arden. I always love sharing this story, and I hope that it will inspire other you know, health practitioners and physicians to look maybe outside the, the walls of our exam room and into our communities and how we can find you know, community-based programs to meet the needs of our patients. And so, as I mentioned, I'm a family medicine physician trained and practiced in a rural area in Upper Michigan. And after I finished residency, I joined a federally qualified health center providing outpatient primary care services to a small community in Upper Michigan, where I live currently and where I went to college. And quickly, as I began to build my practice, I just saw, you know, how just the degree of chronic disease in my patients, you know, I think, you know, you learn about it, you see it day in and day out when you're in residency, but I don't think it really hits you until you're out into practice and you're building relationships with, you know, patients and individuals and their families. And I just, I felt like I had the tools to help them in terms of medications and and, you know, monitoring their health status, but I felt like I didn't have the tools that I needed to help them make, you know, healthful changes in their lives. You know, as far as our medical training goes and in medical school, we get very little training in nutrition. The research shows that there's about 
20 hours of your time that's dedicated to nutrition when you're going through medical school. And oftentimes it's focused more on inpatient nutrition. So when someone is really sick and they're in the hospital and you're managing their nutritional needs in the ICU and things like that. So, you know, we get very little training on nutrition and on lifestyle medicine in general. And so that was one limitation that I found as I got into practice that made me think, you know, I need to learn more about nutrition and about lifestyle and how these things can help my patients live healthier lives to potentially reverse their chronic diseases and hopefully prevent them. But the other thing was, as I talked with my patients, I really learned how the social determinants of health impacted their chronic diseases and their health outcomes. And one thing that really struck me was food access and food security. So as I talked with my patients about their diabetes, and we were talking about ways that we could try to improve their blood sugars through medications and and also through lifestyle changes, I found that so many of them were struggling just to have access to healthy foods in their homes. And so they were having to make hard decisions about buying groceries for their family or getting their prescription medication filled or paying for their rent or heating their home in the winter. And so it was through my patients and their stories that I saw firsthand the impact of food security and the social determinants of health. And so I'd say both of those factors led me to look for other educational opportunities. You know, how could I as a doctor start to learn how to help my patients live healthier lives? And so you look for conferences and I found a really interesting conference in Michigan called Farms Food and Health. And this was back in like 2016. It was in a beautiful community in lower Michigan called Traverse City. And this was a conference where I saw firsthand how food systems and health systems connected. And so up until this point, I had felt that food system work and health system work kind of worked in separate silos, pardon the pun there, but there isn't really infrastructure in place to help connect those two. And so this was a conference where we had doctors and nurses and dietitians and medical students and farmers and food service workers and administrators all coming together to share innovative programs where food systems and health systems were connecting. So things like hospital-based gardens or farms where food is actually grown on site and it ends up on patient plates or in the hospital or where those gardens and farms are utilized by patients that are in the hospital for rehabilitative services or those gardens are therapeutic for stressed out and burnt out staff and and doctors and medical students so they would get a chance to come into that space on a hospital campus and decompress and de-stress. So like those are examples of programs that I learned about for the first time, but one that really caught my eye and made me think like, this is something I could bring back to my patients tomorrow is a produce prescription program. And the model that I learned about was called prescription for health. And it was a produce prescription program started in lower Michigan in Washtenaw County. So near Ann Arbor, and it was through their health department and a foundation had helped fund that program. I think it was the Kresge Foundation. And so basically this was a program where doctors and health providers were able to write prescriptions for produce 
for their patients. And so those prescriptions would basically turn into vouchers where the patients would take those vouchers to area farmers markets as redemption sites. And so they would take their vouchers there, they would get to buy their healthy food. And then as part of the program, the health department was monitoring the impact of this prescriptions. They're looking at utilization, how often were they redeeming those vouchers, but also looking at changes in health outcomes as a result of the program. And so I was just so inspired by this model. And I thought, you know, this is something that I could bring home to patients in my practice. And I talked with my administration and they were very supportive of the program, but like everything, we needed to find a way to fund it, right? There has to be, you know, how are we going to pay for this? And so I looked at this program as a community-based doctor, and I just started looking for funding opportunities. And I was really fortunate that our local health foundation, the Portage Health Foundation, was also kind of on this parallel path of looking at food access and nutrition in our community. And there was a grant opportunity available. So I wrote for a grant and I received the grant. And so I had funding to actually pay for the food for my patients so that the farmers could be paid. They weren't donating the produce. They were paid a fair market value for that food. And then also we were able to cover some staff time to provide for health coaching and nutrition education and outreach. So that's kind of how I I learned about the program and how it came to be in my practice. That is so awesome that you were able to look inward and notice this gap in your own nutrition training and this dichotomy between the theory and practice of what it means to be eating healthily, because there was this lack of resources or access for food security where folks aren't even able to do the things that you want to be able to advise them to do. And I like you acknowledging this systems perspective and how you're able to bridge food and health because they really should be coinciding in their goals and values and how they're operating. And so after being able to create this voucher program that allowed folks to get food from farmers markets so they don't have to decide between food and rent, what were the findings? What were you able to determine from this? So I can kind of jump in here. So just to highlight the details of the intervention of this program, it was a 10-week program where the people that were enrolled through the family medicine clinic were able to receive vouchers that they could use for fresh fruits and vegetables at the farmer's market. So for the first five weeks, they got $10. And then for the last five weeks, they got $20 per participant. And this was at the downtown Houghton farmer's market once a week. And when they were there, they were provided nutrition handouts, as well as individual guidance on like health goal setting and how to actually use some of these foods if they were unfamiliar to them and things like that. And so the people that were actually enrolled in this study were adults 18 and older, and they had to have at least one documented chronic disease. So typically hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, obesity, things like that. And also a desire to increase their fruit and vegetable intake. And then they were referred through their primary care provider through the family medicine office. So the kind of general outcomes that we looked at 
were basically just like a pre and post analysis of basic biometric data. So weight, BMI, blood pressure, fruit and vegetable intake, and some self-reported scales, just regular kind of Likert scales on their knowledge of cooking with fruits and vegetables, storing fruits and vegetables. And then something that was unique about this study is that we included promise metrics. So these are metrics that look at two domains, global physical health and global mental health. Physical health includes metrics such as fatigue, pain, physical health, and then the mental health looked at kind of a broader set of additional variables such as quality of life, social satisfaction, mental health, and emotional problems. And I just kind of want to highlight that because that was really unique about this study. There's been lots of new fruits and vegetable prescription programs. This is becoming a really like increasingly popular approach for addressing chronic disease and food insecurity. But I think our study is a little unique in that we explored some other variables in this analysis. And so in terms of the results and the analysis, like I said, we just use a simple paired t-test to compare the pre and post program. And since it was only 10 weeks, we didn't see any dramatic differences in blood pressure or BMI, but some of the findings that did come out of this, we saw a significant increase in people's self-reported knowledge of how to store fruits and vegetables. And then what really, really caught our attention was the significant increase in self-reported quality of life. And I think that in the time since the program, we kind of spent a lot of time reflecting on that. Like, well, that's really interesting. You know, like this was just a 10 week program. What went into driving this improvement in quality of life? Because I think that that's really important. Not to say that these other variables aren't important. Obviously we want to help people that are hypertensive reduce their blood pressure. We want to help people lose weight, but understandably we might not be able to achieve that in a short program. We might've needed a little bit more time to do that. So as we kind of thought more about quality of life and what might this mean in the context of this program, Michelle, feel free to like jump in here with any thoughts, but we kind of looked at what people said in the open-ended responses on the surveys at the end of the program. And people shared a lot of thoughts that were kind of more like socially oriented, you know, like this was something fun to look forward to, as we say in the title of the paper. And people said like, I'm walking more often. People were involving other members of their family, making it a group activity, making friends at the market doing things together in community. It's not like this is just an individual intervention. So I think we realized that though we didn't really initially design it as an intervention to facilitate social connection and cohesion, I think it did serve that purpose for some of our participants. And we kind of hypothesized that maybe, you know, maybe that's part of the improvement in quality of life for some of the people in this program. I love that. And it's almost no surprise that solving its individual level thing should involve the community, right? Because as we're saying, there is the separation between the health and the systems and all of these things. And so by just creating that small bridge to enabling folks to have access in this community setting, kind of started this whole bigger process. And I love this qualitative value that you found because you know, 10 weeks is maybe a little too short amount of time to notice some of those 
big quantitative changes, like you said, in BMI and things along those lines, but really quality of life is sort of immeasurable and something worth digging deeper into. And so I think that that's really, really exciting. And so based off of what you're able to find here and digging a little bit deeper to really unpack that quality of life, where has this research taken you? What have you done with these findings? Yeah, thanks, Arden. So I'll just share where this program and this experience has taken me and what has happened in our community since the time of the pilot. So as we mentioned, this program took place in 2017. So it's been a few years now since it was initially implemented. And just to echo what Carly had shared in terms of our analysis and it, as a physician, you know, as a community-based physician, this was really exciting for me to see a lot of the feedback that I heard from my patients in the exam room bearing out with the research. So a lot of the patients, you know, shared with me how much they enjoyed going to the market. They enjoyed the program, getting their kids involved, eating the green stuff more. It just, it was really exciting. And for me to see that there was a significant improvement in quality of life was really like this light bulb moment as a doctor, because I feel like at the core of what we're trying to do in medicine and as physicians is improve the lives of our patients by whatever means we can and through the resources that we have access to. And so if something seemingly so small, this intervention, 10 to $20 a week, I mean, it, it is something, it's not a significant incentive, but it was enough to change the way that they felt that their lives were. And so I think for me, that was something that I wanted to do more of in my community and to kind of make a shift in my career. And so I actually, after five years in primary care, I shifted into community health work and that's where I am now. So I had the opportunity to join the Portage Health Foundation, which was the initial funder of this program. And now we're taking the lessons that we learned from this pilot and looking at how can we make a holistic and comprehensive investments and programs in our community that are going to improve access and education around food and nutrition in the long term. And so this work takes a lot of collaboration. It takes a lot of communication and also that transdisciplinary work. I am coordinating with municipal representatives, planners, farmers, ecologists, researchers at the university, food service workers, looking at how can we improve access in our community. And it has really been a catalyst for the expansion of other programs in our area. As example, the foundation has now funded a series of community gardens throughout our area to improve access to land in order to grow more healthful foods. And these have been located in traditional community garden spaces within kind of different cities and towns, but also they're located in schools. So we're doing school gardens. We've also funded gardens at housing complexes, which have allowed individuals either in senior living complexes or in low-income complexes to have access to growing foods. We've also expanded as a result of the pandemic 
to create a collective CSA program, which serves families with young children who may be at risk for food insecurity within our county. And so we partner directly with farms to get local produce, which is aggregated into basically like a local produce box that incorporates educational handouts and recipes and is delivered weekly to families throughout the summer months. And so we use a similar evaluation model that we did with the Prescription for Health program to evaluate that model as well. And then probably most excitingly, we have seen the implementation of a produce prescription program that is across the entire Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And that program was developed through numerous collaborations and multiple funding partners, but it's starting this year. And so this will be the first season for it. I believe there are nine farmers market redemption sites, seven clinical partners. And so this is a program that will be available to the entire population of Upper Michigan, which is about 200,000 people. And so this program helped to provide a framework for the expansion of a UP-wide produce prescription program, which I'm really proud of. And so that's been really exciting. And then I think the other important lesson that Carly and I took away from this experience is how this program and this model where you are connecting people with their local food system really helps to shift the narrative around food security and some of the stigma around food security. So oftentimes the conversations with food insecurity and food deserts is all about scarcity. So what is lacking within a community? And that negative connotation can lead to further stigma around utilizing food access programs, right? And so this is a program that is inherently abundance focused, right? It is inherently celebrating the resources within a community. So looking at how we have these amazing farmers and growers, you know, we have these amazing agricultural resources within our community, and we are connecting people with those resources. So we're trying to shift that mindset to one of abundance. And I feel like that is one strategy for helping to reduce the stigma around food security and utilizing food assistance programs. And so I guess I'll kind of leave it at that. And I'd like Carly to kind of join in because I know she has some more input in terms of this. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to go off that, I think that at the end of the day, the big takeaway for both of us is that this was all about connection. It was about not only connecting the health system and the food system in this broader context, but also individually connecting patients to fruits and vegetables, connecting them to each other and to farmers at the market and connecting them just together in community. And we're a part of that process too, as healthcare providers, physicians, the farmers, everyone is connected through that. And so like, I think that that's just a really exciting thing about this. And it really takes that positive lens, that positive framing. I think so much of what we do in medicine is characterized by what disease someone has, what resources or things that they lack, you know, so if it's food security or that's the hypertensive patient, right? I think we characterize a lot of people and things by what they lack. And so I think it's subtle, but making that shift over towards 
connection and this framework of abundance, supporting the resources that are already inherent in the community, supporting all of these wonderful qualities that people and, and our patients already have and helping them achieve their health goals. It just makes sense that when we embrace that and embrace supporting things from this positive lens, that it kind of can lead to this overall improvement in quality of life with such a short intervention. And I just want to make one comment about how some of the reflections that we had on this, we kind of posed some suggestions just for policy and for future research in thinking about these results. So like I mentioned before, these produce prescription programs, they're becoming more common. I think people are starting to take a little bit more of a look at some of these other variables like mental health, quality of life, some of these more social related variables. But I think that our results really are kind of a call to action for further research in that area. And so for future programs to really dig into that further and kind of cross over into this other realm. There's a big movement going on called social prescribing that really aims to address the loneliness and social isolation crisis that has really just escalated over the past few years, obviously, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's not a new concept to consider farmer's market prescription programs as a type of social prescribing, right? Like you're sending people to the farmer's market, they're going to be connecting with other people there. But I think that it's a space that could be explored more. And not only could these programs be a way to address food insecurity and help people with their healthcare related goals, but also some of these more social aspects and helping to alleviate loneliness too, as just like a possible direction that some of these programs could go. And so I just think that that's really where the future of this work could go because it's just so multifaceted kind of in that way. And just to go along with that, I want to share a quote that we did put in the paper from a neuroscientist, John Cassiopo. He talks a lot about loneliness and is like a pioneering researcher in that field. And he had compared the concepts of hunger and loneliness. And he says, the purpose of loneliness is like the purpose of hunger. Hunger takes care of your physical body. Loneliness takes care of your social body, which you also need to survive and prosper. We're a social species. And so I think that just really tied a lot of things together for us. These concepts are not separate, they're related. And when you think about just improving wellness of an individual patient, wellness of the community, where we have to address all aspects of what helps you to be well and not just surviving, but prospering. So I think all of that is really exciting. On a separate note, I will say that just for me, Personally, being a part of this program as a student, as a trainee, starting as an undergraduate student, and then now almost at the end of medical school, getting ready to start my residency next year, I think that it has definitely inspired me to continue my journey and interest in pursuing primary care because seeing what this program has been able to accomplish, seeing just all the hard work that Michelle put into this and really making it happen, and all that it has done for the, not just like the Houghton community, but the whole Upper Peninsula, what these programs have become, that just gives me so much hope and is so inspiring. Thank you, Carly. And I am inspired thinking about this program in 
I mean, Michelle mentioned that over 200,000 people cannot be served by these programs, which is not nothing. I mean, from a small pilot project that ran for 10 weeks now, it's able to serve this whole community. And it keeps coming back to this idea of networks and thinking about these multifaceted problems and how, well, of course, they're going to require these transdisciplinary solutions that we really need to be building those networks within the community, within the systems that exist, and continuing to see it as a social problem. And I also like this idea of reducing stigma and characterizing these by the positives, what the community already has rather than what's lacking. And I think that there is room for research in the future to think about how COVID might impact these ideas of loneliness and social isolation and how we might be able to use this to combat or better understand the way that folks are experiencing health in these times. And so I am thoroughly inspired and excited for this program. And I just wanna open the floor one more time if either of you have any closing thoughts before we finish. I wanna say thank you for this opportunity. And I guess I will share if there are any physicians out there or health practitioners or organizations that are looking to implement a produce prescription program, I'd love to give a shout out to the Washtenaw County Health Department and their toolkit. And so you can search prescription for health Washtenaw County, and they have a free downloadable toolkit, basically that kind of walks you through how to implement one of these programs in your community. And that was a pivotal resource for me. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are a lot of great resources out there that kind of help determine whether you're ready to bring this on, what type of logistics and staffing needs you have, how to evaluate the programs, because ultimately, as the research expands, as the rigor of the evaluation expands with these types of programs and interventions, we want to look for a sustainable funding model for these. You know, a lot of them are typically funded through philanthropic efforts, through granting and things like that. And so as our evidence base strengthens for the role of produce prescription programs, whether it be in immediate health outcomes and looking at improving food insecurity rates, at improving social connection and alleviating isolation and loneliness. We really need to look at how these can be reimbursable interventions through our payer panels. And so the more that we can evaluate and look at the outcomes of community-based interventions, even if they are small, even if they're small, like our 30 patient pilot, that data is important and it matters and it helps contribute to the body of knowledge for these types of interventions. So I wanted to make sure I plug their toolkit and also just the importance of this type of community-based research. So Carly, anything else you'd want to add while we close out? I don't think I have anything else to add. This has been such a joy talking with you both. It's been such a inspiring part of my journey, being part of this project and seeing it grow and, you know, now having this project out in the world and being able to share it is just so wonderful. And I'm just thankful to be here today. Awesome. And I'm thankful that you're able to share it with me and our listeners as well. And it is so cool to see the sustainability grow and as you mentioned, not reinventing the wheel, that there are these resources. So I'm excited to see this model grow as well. But thank you both so much for your time and your thoughts with me today. And have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.